welcome. My name is Lauren. I'm not into um, big introductions, but you, I'm normally at the back with my kids, and today I'm at the front, and I'm trusting that God's put something on my heart that's going to encourage some of you today. And um, if you're wondering, if you're new with us and you're wondering what's going on, Passover is coming at the end of the month, and it's something that we choose to focus on probably rather than tr the traditional Good Friday, Easter Sunday language because it's the the language of the Old Testament. And so this month we decided it's sort of like a month of Passover really. Jason spoke last week, I'm speaking this week and we've got a couple of teachings to follow related to um, the Passover theme. So hopefully from last week you might remember some points Jason said, Passover is God's freedom festival. Freedom is for worship, that's a tongue twister for me for some reason. Freedom festival. Unleavened bread is a reminder that you're no longer a slave, so start thinking like a free person. When you feel like an Israelite that stepped out of the Red Sea, God is still the God who fights for us. It was a great message last week. And this week, you could have three different options of what to call it. I wasn't sure. You might call it the long game, a call to be a people of faith, a call to persevere, but that kind of gives you an idea of the direction that I'm heading. The theologian Donald Carson said that the Exodus event... Um, of God's people out of Egypt is the greatest redemptive event in the Old Testament. The, greative, the greatest redemptive event in the Old Testament. So think about that. For us today, the greatest redemptive event is the cross of Christ, obviously. But before that, it was the Exodus. And that's why numerous times in the Bible, God describes himself in terms of the Exodus. So in Exodus 22 to 3, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's what God's reminding them of um, before he gives the Ten Commandments. Or when Saul is anointed king, Samuel says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. Or Jeremiah 32, you showed signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all humankind and you have made yourself a name that continues to this very day. And so you can see that it's the Exodus event, it's the Passover story that is the very redemptive event that births a nation and frames the whole narrative for the people of Israel going forward. And so it makes sense that we would focus our attention on this and spend time meditating on it. So the term... Exodus can refer to the literal exodus out of Egypt. Most people think of the blood on the door or the Red Sea, or it can be used more broadly to speak of um, the Israelites' whole journey, starting at Moses through the, the entire book of Exodus through to the tabernacle in the wilderness. And there's so many themes in there. I literally think you could spend half a year, I was thinking about it, half a year just unpacking each week coming up and having a different theme that you could pull out of the exodus of the Passover story because it's so deep and so rich and its intricacies and the other future verses that come later that refer back to that event. Um, there's redemption, there's freedom from slavery, there's issues of faith, worship, salvation. Um, but this month, as I've been reading over the story again, it's been the Israelite people in the Passover story that have stood out to me the most. And it um, began one day when I came up, up upon this verse and it had been after a really hard day, a really challenging day. One of those days, um, especially as a parent, you might know what I mean, or after, I do, I do remember what it used to be like 
to go to work every day, long, long days at work, and you come home and you're just done. You're just over it. You're spent. You're ready for the next day to come. You're ready for relief to hit. And if you have your Bible, you can turn with me. We're going to be moving around a little bit to Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 to 9. I'll give you time to get it out on your phone or hard copy if you've got one. Chloe read a lot of this uh, last week so beautifully, but I'm just going to read this part again. God also spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they resided as aliens. I have also heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are holding as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has freed you from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And Moses told this to the Israelites, but they would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their cruel slavery. Moses told all this to the Israelites, but they would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their cruel slavery. And the impact of that verse, it just hit me and it's been hitting me again and again. The NIV puts it, your, puts it this way. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Or the NLT says they had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Or the message paraphrases that they didn't even hear him. They were that beaten down in spirit by the harsh slave conditions. And I found myself in that very place as I read that verse. And now my Western... Uh, psychological mental struggles that I have every day don't really have anything in comparison to generational brutal physical uh, slavery but I sensed in myself as I read it that day and understanding that yeah I've been there sometimes I am there have you ever felt too uh, discouraged to actually listen or felt broken in spirit or weighed down or weary not just like I'm tired this week but soul weary and then someone comes along and tells you how amazing this thing was or how God did did this in your life or how great Passover is and we've got all these resources and you can join in with us and you can come and celebrate with us with us and you just can't even hear because it's just too much because the present circumstances feel more weighty than the weightiness of who God is The present circumstances feel more weighty than the weightiness of who God is. And so we become dull of hearing. We can give up. We lose faith. And the Israelites weren't even ready to hear. Juliet Carnhart wrote, Doubt and unbelief are walls of self-preservation that we hold up around our hearts. And that's what the Israelites were doing. The slavery was so hard that those walls of self-preservation come straight up. I can't even hear. Moses, I don't even want to hear. 
I'm just in preservation mode right now. And I've felt in myself times where I have done that this week. Not, sorry, not this week, in, in time. And then I thought, hang on a minute. I don't think, the Israelites weren't always like this, right? So I went back and I decided to just map a little of their journey. Because if you track um, their heart responses, you start to see a bit of a pattern happening. Now, I feel like my PowerPoint isn't really, okay, it is, it's happening. So I'm just going to whiz through just a couple of these. Exodus 4, this happened before the verse that I just read. So before the not listening to Moses, the first time when Moses came and declared all the wonders of what God was going to do. It says, And Moses performed the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had given heed to the Israelites and that he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Great response. Exodus 6, I just read that one. Then a little bit later, the Israelites watch as God does miraculous signs. He protects them from hail. He protects the lands of Goshen. He gives them specific instructions about the Passover. And it says the people bowed down and worship. And the Israelites went and did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So there's belief. Belief there. Then they actually leave. They actually leave Egypt after 430 years. They arrive in the wilderness. They've got a literal pillar of fire and cloud everything and then it says pharaoh draws near the israelites looked back and there were the egyptians advancing on them and in great fear they cried out to the lord they said to moses was it because there were no graves in egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness what have you done to us bringing us out of egypt is this not the very thing we told you in egypt let us alone let us serve the egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the egyptians than to die in the wilderness that's what comes up out of their hearts So there's this belief, unbelief, belief, unbelief. And Moses gives them the charge to not be afraid and to stand firm. But that accusation is ready to birth forth. Then they get through the Red Sea. We have Exodus 15, the song of Moses, the horse and the rider they've thrown into the sea. And then straight back into there's no water. Not there wasn't no water. There was no drinkable water. And the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And so Moses follows God's instructions and throws a piece of wood into the water and it becomes sweet and so on and so forth. And if you know the Passover story and we talk about it with the kids, we go, oh, here the Israelites go again, complaining and grumbling. It's sort of almost uh, comical, I suppose, but it's it's really actually not. Um, And I felt the weightiness of it. And there in Exodus 16, the people are complaining against Moses with no water. Fast forward like 38 years numbers 20 the same thing almost the same thing happens again except this time it's not that there's no drinkable water there is just no water there's no water in the wilderness and it says they quarreled with Moses and said if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place it has no grain or figs grapevines or pomegranates imagine I just find that hilarious the pomegranates remember the pomegranates and there is no water to drink and so Moses and Aaron consult God and he tells Moses to speak to the rock Um, but instead he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them I love this listen you rebels must we bring you water out of this rock then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice which is not what God had asked him to do he asked him to speak to the rock 
and water gushed out and the community and the livestock drank. And it said, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me, or some versions would say believe in me, enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So what is going on here with these Israelites? Like anyone relate? They chop and change so much. Why do they complain so often? Why do they forget so easily? Why can't they just trust God to deliver them? Or I remember once being in a small group Bible study with somebody and someone said, I can't believe that they would just do that after all they had seen. And I thought, can't you? I can. Because I know what the human heart is like. Like how many times have we seen a testimony or God's faithfulness and then within three days we're just back there in the same place. And Hebrews 3 gives us the answer and that's where I want to be spending most of my time today. Hebrews chapter 3, turn with me there if you're following along in your Bible. I am going to read a chunk of this and then that will end my chunk of reading Uh, and then I'll explain. But Hebrews chapter 3. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that would be spoken later. Christ, however, was faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if we hold firm the confidence and the pride that belong to hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as on the day of testing in the wilderness. Just remember the PowerPoint following along where your ancestors put me to the test, though they had seen my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry, angry with that generation, and I said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. As in my anger, I swore they will not enter my rest. Take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you may have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partners of Christ, if only we hold our first confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, who were they who heard and yet were rebellious? Was it not all those who left Egypt under the leadership of Moses? But with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who were disobedient? So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Skipping down to verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not speak later about another day. So then a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also cease from their labors as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one may fall through such disobedience as theirs. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides from soul, from spirit, joints, from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Sometimes I feel like all we could do is come up here and just read scriptures like that and then say amen and then sit down again. So the author of the letter to the Hebrews is answering my question of what is going on here with the Israelites and the answer is unbelief. And the situation that the writer is referring to in verse 8 as the day of testing in the wilderness is what I just read to you in Numbers 20 
when they're crying out for water, right like just before the final year, before, before, they go to, before the promised land is there. They don't go to the promised land because you know that whole generation never made it to the promised land bar Joshua and Caleb, including Moses. God provided food for them in the wilderness for 40 years. It says their clothes never wore out in Deuteronomy 29. It tells us that. Yet they did not enter the promised land because of unbelief. So yes, the people sinned in the day of Merib- Meribah by grumbling and complaining. They did that so much. But underlying all that was a root heart problem that they did not trust in God's goodness towards them. That God is who he says he is. And God's chastisement to Moses was, because you did not trust me enough to honor me in the sight of the Israelites. You did not trust me enough. Now, if this unbelief and lack of trust was just a heart problem for the Israelites, uh, we might not be talking about it today. But the fact is, the writer of Hebrews is writing to those who are most likely Jewish, hence the name Hebrews, but are Christians. Some speculate many Jewish comforts who'd experienced quite a bit of persecution and is issuing a warning here to beware lest the same believing heart be in us. And you might think, what? Can we, can I have an unbelieving heart? And the answer is yes. We can have an unbelieving heart and the warning wouldn't be there unless we needed to hear it. And I felt the weightiness of that warning for us this morning as we prepare our hearts in this Passover season for myself personally, but I'm trusting that I'm not the only one that needs to hear to be careful not to harden our hearts in unbelief, to treat lightly the promises of God or to harbor a mistrust in our spirits about God's intentions towards us or to doubt that he is faithful to do all that he would said he would do. Sorry, Lauren, I thought this was meant to be a Passover message. Yes, Jason said last week, we're a Passover people. And we want to walk in the freedom that God has for us. We want to get rid of that slave mentality. But I'm so zealous for us that we are not a people that are painting our doors, that are rejoicing when the Red Sea is parted, and are dying in the wilderness in 10 or 20 years or in 40 years or right before the promised land is there. I feel so zealous for that, for myself and for us. And you know, the way that we end our race is actually more important than how it begins. And you think of so many people in the Bible who started off well, but didn't finish well. Noah built an ark and saved his family and then was drunk in a tent. Solomon, a wise king with a peaceful reign, but loved his women too much, and they drew his hearts away from God. Hezekiah, on his deathbed, cries out for 15 more years. God gives him 15 more years, only just to show off his wealth to the other nations and have his his people sent off to Babylon. And he goes, oh, well, at least it's not when I'm alive. Like, oh, my goodness, the list could go on. And even Moses, this is what the promise God, the mission God gave him, He got to see that the people were entering in, but he wasn't able to enter in with them because of unbelief. And 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Is this Paul saying this? I mean, he did amazing things. Me this morning, I even feel the weightiness. I don't want to preach this from the front and then be disqualified myself because in five years I'm feeling discouraged and I'm too hard to hear what God's telling me. We call this concept that I'm talking about the perseverance of the saints. And I feel so passionate about this at the moment because I've sensed in myself a sense of drifting at times internally by the present, the recent internal red season and wildernesses in my life. And those, it feels like only increase as you get older. And this cry is rising up in me. God, I want to be one that finishes well. Not just starts well. I want to be among a company of people that finish well. And I just don't want the deliverance and freedom and the word of the Lord for our youth or our kids who we love so much. And we want that for them. But I want it for myself as well. I don't want to speak this message today and through lack of hearing find myself disqualified from the prize. I want to be as fiery for the Lord when he parts the Red Sea and as fire and on fire for him when I'm in the wilderness. Yeah, I even wrote there, can I get an amen? That's how I feel in myself, right? <laughs> um, this pastor, Nate Holdridge, he just has a church in... Um, in the US said watch out for this halfway spirit the one which has been delivered from slavery to sin forgiven by God through the blood of Christ but never able to go further don't let career pursuits or philosophical questions stop you from going all the way into God's best by trusting him and so what is it we're watching out for Hebrews tells us hard hearts and I'll just cover two two main ways we can harden our hearts the first is tolerating sin Hebrews 3.13 said, So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And sin is rarely obvious, that's for sure. I know in my late teens, probably as early into my early 20s, um, I thought that sin was obvious. Well, a lot of sin can be obvious. And did you know I could mostly eliminate the obvious sins from my life, even by myself, like without even asking for God's help? No adultery, no, you know, like all these obvious ones, you know, watch your tongue, you know, all these kinds of things. Um, But sin is deceitful. It's deceitful. It can even be appealing is what that means to us. And the culture of this age is very appealing. And I, I can, I just, it is appealing. And that's what makes it so tricky. Matthew Henry says, Sin is deceitful because it appears fair but is filthy. It appears pleasant but is pernicious, which means like having a harmful effect but just in a subtle way. It promises much but performs nothing. And what we cannot always see or sense is that our hidden sins harden our hearts, our thoughts, our attitudes, those little phrases that arise up in our moments of frustration. And as our hearts become harder, we become less and less sensitive to our sin and more and more distant from Jesus. And I've always found a great question to ask myself is when, I, when was I last grieved by my sin? Like actually grieved. When was the last time I cried over my sin? 
and the other way I've called it later syndrome relapsing into old indifference yeah 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 I hear what you're saying I hear what you're saying I can die to self um, later I can surrender to Jesus later in coming months or years I can get on board with the Passover stuff or this prayer stuff later you know like on my terms when I'm ready I can ask for forgiveness later I can just respond just later okay I just got so much going on right now and I say this because this is the things that I say so I'm trusting I'm not the only one that does this um or right now yeah I'm just coasting okay I'm in cruise mode I'm just into I just got to take a break here for a minute and John Piper said something like, if you think you're just coasting, you're fooling yourself. A man treading water in a river is only going downstream. And later syndrome, in actual fact, is hearing without responding. Listening and not acting. The writer of the Hebrews later says in chapter 5, you have become dull of hearing and it's dangerous. It's a really, it's a really dangerous place to be in. James says, faith without deeds is dead. So those are the two ways we can harden our hearts. So what is the antidote to unbelief then? It's faith. What might have helped the Israelites in the wilderness to believe and sustain belief for 40 years? Sustain trust in the living God, not give up so easily or to not lose hope. It's faith. And it actually goes through in chapter 3. I've called them faith builders. Exhort one another daily. We need to find people that will seriously encourage us. And we need to be people that don't just commiserate with one another in life's difficulties, but exhort and encourage one another. And we have a responsibility to give and to receive this. Put yourself in the Israelite camp. What would have been the words coming out of your mouth? Me, when I'm not trusting God, I tend to go pretty, uh, pretty rational, pragmatic, highly critical. I would have said, oh, you know, I know Moses was spot on with that Red Sea thing, you know, but I'm, I'm not so sure going forward. I can't see how he's going to get food for all of us, you know, long term. Like, or I was prepared to go along with the whole rock thing, the manna and quail thing, like even the striking the rock, but this speaking to a rock I heard God say that, like speaking to a rock, like I'm not so sure about that. What difference, what might it have made if when the Israelites complained in the wilderness, they were met with exhortation rather than commiseration? There's no water again. Ah, I'm so thirsty. I'm so angry. I'm so thirsty and angry. I'm hangry. But the thirsty one, angry, I don't know. Oh, but God, I remember last time and speaking to your friends. Remember last time? Remember like it was like 38 years ago and like God, Moses did the rock thing and then the water was bitter, but then it turned sweet. Wasn't that water so sweet? Gosh, that water was sweet, wasn't it? God was good to us. Remember that water, hey? It was so good. God, you're so merciful. You're so faithful to us. We trust you. Moses, how are you doing? Are you hearing God? No, nothing yet? Okay, let's pray for you. All right, guys, come on, we've got to pray. You know, there's no water, but we know God can do this, right? What difference would it have made if they exhorted one another daily while it's called today? The second one, give heed to the word of God. 
How many of you knew, knew the context for that verse that we love to say so much? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. But the context of that, sorry, the context of that right before that is unbelief. So what way do you combat unbelief? Word of God. And I just want to wave the word. I mean, we do want the word of God, but that's the context. That verse comes straight on the back of the warning of unbelief. And so if you feel yourself drifting, get back to the word of God. Wield it like a weapon. Use it to combat lies or discouragement. Wake up to the deceitfulness of sin. And because it's deceitful, we need to pray constantly. Psalm 139, 23 to 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You could go on and on. I'll whiz through. Hold fast to your confidence, Hebrews 3, 6, 6 says. If we hold fast to the end, it talks about us being God's house. But holding fast our confidence to the end, not just at the beginning. And one of the, the most important one, I think, would be consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, or later in Hebrews 12. The book of Hebrews is awesome. I just, the whole thing is connected. It's hard not to, to talk about later verses, talking about earlier verses, because it's all connected. But that's what the, where it builds, talking about people of faith. And then Jesus, it says, Consider him who endured such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint, so that we may not give up, right? Jesus is gone. He's made a way. He's the high priest. He's the great apostle. He's the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. So we'll bring this back to Passover and I'll finish with my own bit of exhorting today. Celebrating Passover is a faith builder. God gives us festivals and seasons and time to remember him by. He's the God of the hands-on. Passover, baptism, communion. He gives us real things in real time and real space to mark and to remember. What was the Israelites' problem all the time? Forgetfulness. So what does God give us? Ways to remember who, who he is. And don't we all need these reminders daily? You know, the very first Passover was done before they'd yet seen the Exodus story un fulfilled like unveiled it's so hard sometimes when we we know how it all ends but when you go back and they were first putting the blood on the doors it was an act of faith that they were doing that imagine being a child as your dad was putting the blood on the doorpost like dad what's going on and the dad's going son I don't know I just know that this is what God's told us to do you know it says in Exodus 8:26 that the sacrifices and the things that the Israelites did could be so offensive to the Egyptians that it could result in stoning so he's saying son I don't know I just know I fear God more than I fear these Egyptians I've seen what he's done he's protected us land of Goshen but it says there's gonna that he's gonna kill all the firstborn like they had no grid for that what that actually felt like so I'm putting this here as an act of faith and saying, God, we fear you more than we fear the Egyptians. We are saying yes to your promise of deliverance. Hebrews 11 describes it as, By faith, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. 
By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. So this is what the Passover story is all about. It's a faith builder. It reminds us that there is a God who sees, who hears and delivers. And I love this passage in Exodus 6. All these statements, I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will bring you to the land I swore you. I will give it to you. I am the Lord. And gosh, do we believe it? Do we believe that God is the same yesterday, today and forever? Do you believe that God wants to do this for you? to free you, to deliver you and give you a great inheritance. And if I'm honest, when push comes to shove, my answer is often no. It's no, God, I don't. Because if I believed it, I would live differently. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Well, I keep saying that about a few, but anyway, there's a lot that I like. But there's this dad whose son has got a, has a mute spirit since childhood. And when it takes over, he's rolling around on the floor, he's frothing at the mouth, his body goes rigid. He's even throwing himself into the water, into the fire. Like it's trying to kill him from childhood. Can you imagine being a parent in that position? And he's already come to the disciples and they couldn't do anything. And so he comes to Jesus for help and he says, Jesus says to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's my cry today. It's been my cry over my life. Lord, I believe you. In my mind, I do. I know what your word says, but help my unbelief in the present circumstances when I'm dealing with some stronghold or issue or the same thing over and over again. Lord, help me to believe that you are who you say you are. I think about Peter walking on the water. Lord, if it's you, they're scared. Command me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. So Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, Oh, you little of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. Jesus is so merciful to us in meeting us, even in the place of unbelief. He just sticks his hand out. Peter, you have little faith. I was right here. The rehearsing of the Passover story, it builds our faith. And the thing is, we rehearse not just a Passover in the Old Testament. One greater than Moses is here. Now we too are delivered from judgment by faith in the blood of the ultimate Passover lamb. That's what we read about. Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. We who trust in the shed blood of Christ, we're forgiven, delivered from the eternal wages of sin. Hebrews 9, jumping back again later into Hebrews, says, after a lot of talk about Old Testament sacrifices, this thing, how much more then? How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, that is, not give up, 
now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. I want to be somebody in that category. I want to be somebody that walks by faith. I want us to be a people that walk by faith, not by sight. So my question to you this Passover is heart check. Like, where's your heart at today? And Jason started to unpack lots of this last week. And I think there's some in, in this room that you're in real need of deliverance. You've been crying out, groaning, and God's message to you is, is the same as it was to the Egyptians in Exodus 6. Are you listening? Can you hear it? Or is the hardness of your labor or the brutal discouragement making it hard for you to hear or to trust right now? To hear and believe God's promises for you. Do you believe that God is who he says he is in the wilderness? Or are you in, in Laterville today? I know as a parent, I've, this is where I found it the hardest to be in Laterville. Laterville. Like I'm busy right now. I'm literally chasing after three children. Well, not all at once. At least one is walking and running, chasing. Like I just can't right now, God. Like later. I'll do it later. But the thing is, it's like five years later, eight years later, I might not be literally running after. There's always a reason, right? There's always a reason to say, to say later to God. And God says to you, cleanse out the old leaven for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let's deal with sin and apathy. If you're in that place, let's not be dull of hearing, hard of heart. By celebrating Passover as we do as New Life Together, we are participating in a collective exhortation. Come on, let's remember who he is. Let's exhort one another daily. You've got difficulty in your life? Yeah, me too. Let's cry out to God together. Let's declare our faith together. And I want to be one of those people. And so that's the crux of what I have to say today. And I so I... The worship team can come up. If you're feeling like you're one of those people who is weighed down by the harshness of the labor that you're in at the moment and finding it hard to hear or finding it hard to trust, I'm going to invite you to come forward this morning to receive prayer for strengthening. We want to pray for you. We want to stand with you. We want to encourage you. We want to ask for God's breakthrough in the midst of the wilderness so that we would not give up or lose heart, or grow faint. And if you have felt the dullness creeping in, that later syndrome, the invitation for you this morning is to choose repentance, to do business with God and say, God, I've been showing up and I've been doing the stuff, but internally you know my heart has been drifting from you. I'm sorry, God. Help me to turn back to you. Or even asking, God, connect my heart, connect my emotions to my sin or to who you are. That we would break that hard heart. There's so many verses that have been going around in my head, but I even think of Ezekiel looking at that valley of dry bones, taking hearts of stone, giving hearts of flesh. God can do it first step we have to recognize our own condition and then all we have to do is respond to him he's already made the way 
through his blood shed on the cross. That's what we remember at Passover. God, give us faith to believe in who you are, in who you say you are.